Um, and actually, we learn a little bit more about him in this uh, chapter, uh, and, and actually in this section that we're going to look at today, and we'll talk about that as we go. Um, but John is writing his gospel. He's the last of the disciples alive. The other 11, like Judas hanged himself, right? And so uh, then the other 10 have all been executed by this point. Um, John wrote his gospel very late, but he was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. And he, he offers a unique perspective because John was, um, first off, probably the son of a, a wealthy fisherman. And John had contacts in the city of Jerusalem. So when he went there, he knew things about the people and about sort of the inner politics and stuff like that that, that we don't otherwise see. John is also the only disciple who went with Jesus to the cross. He initially ran away, and then he followed Jesus to the cross and was there for the crucifixion. And so John has a, has a very different perspective. Um, as he's writing this, he's writing it to Jewish people who lived around the world, not Jewish people who lived in Israel. Right? They're called the diaspora, which means they were like the, the Jews that lived elsewhere. And so there's a bit of a cultural difference in the way it's written, and that's going to come into play in this, in this week's sermon, which is why I'm mentioning it. Um, let me see if I can get my slides back. Okay. Um, the, the big message up until this point, John is, John is emphasizing a couple things. He's emphasizing that Jesus is the answer to like the Jews' expectations. Like the Jewish people up until this point have been expecting for God to fix their situation. And they had all these like lofty expectations. And they'd been building, like this particular movement in the Jewish faith had been building for about 500, 600 years. And they, they were like sort of at a frenzy at this point. And Jesus shows up like right at the heart of it. And um, that'll, that'll be a part of what we're going to talk about today. Um, um, so like John is sort of answering that. In, in the gospel here, we're at the beginning of John telling the story of the crucifixion. And there's a lot more politics in John's gospel. Like he sort of explains how it comes about, right? And that's a couple weeks from now we'll get to that, like more the heart of it. But um, so this is the beginning of the end of his gospel where Jesus is moving in the direction of the arrest and the trial and the execution and everything else. Like um, before this, the whole book was about the Jewish holidays and how the Jewish holidays pointed towards who Jesus was, and about how the whole Jewish faith for thousands of years had been building up to the story of Jesus. And it's actually a really interesting book, which we will dig into more deeply, that end of things, next year. Sorry. Um, Actually, next school year, um, before Christmas. Um, Chapter 10, Jesus, like, uh, is teaching in this area, and, like, he said some things that upset the folks, and they tried to lynch him. And he escaped with his disciples, and they, like, basically took off cross-country, and they were about 150 kilometers away, which means nothing to me because I don't know what a kilometer is. Um, I'm pretty sure it's, um, like, 90 miles. Sound about right? You're Canadian, aren't you? What? <laughs> oh, fractions, my other enemy. Um, <laughs> the metric system and fractions. It's about 90 miles. That sound about right. 150 kilometers, six tenths. It's about. Um, <laughs> um, so he travels about 90 miles away. Um, in the last sermon, we looked at how um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, sisters and a brother, right, good friends of Jesus, sent word to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick. You need to come help. And Jesus said, don't worry, I'm coming, but I'm not going to come right now. And he, like, procrastinates for two days. He doesn't procrastinate, he waits. 
Um, that's what it's called when Jesus does it. When I do it, it's procrastinating. Um, so he waits around for two days. In the two days, Lazarus dies, right? And then he says, all right, guys, Lazarus is dead. We're going. Um, and and um, we, we talked about kind of the nuances of what he said there. And the disciples are like, wait a minute. We're going to the place where they just tried to kill you. And, and Jesus says, yeah, but we're going. So they, they pull up stakes. They go there. The expectation at this point is that, like, bad things are going to come with it. Um, and so we're diving into the text as this is verse 17. If you want to follow along, it will also be on the screen, um, I hope. Um, so as they arrive, this would be verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. We talked about this a little bit, and we're going to look at sort of maybe the nuance of it a little more today. Um, The Jewish people expected that the first three days there was a distinct possibility it might get up and not be dead. Got it? Like, because medicine wasn't very advanced, um, and so, like, sometimes you would bury a guy and, like, like, it would turn out he really wasn't quite as dead as you thought. And, and like, that actually was pretty common until maybe like 100 years ago. It, and I actually think it still happens in parts of the world. And so um, after three days, you were, like, not mostly dead. You were all dead. Um, and so um, him being in the tomb for four days means that he's all dead, um, that nobody's going to confuse this. It's not like, oh, he got up and left. He, he really died. He had this disease. It killed him. Um, he would have started to... The body would have started to corrupt is how most of the commentaries said it. He stunk at this point is basically what it comes down to, right? And they would bury the person because for a Jewish person, they had really strict laws about cleanliness, right? That's why they don't eat pork and shellfish and some other stuff. Um, And one of the rules they had was if you come across a dead body, if you touch it, you're ritually unclean for X number of days. Um, You weren't allowed to go to the temple then. You had to go and like do a ceremony to be cleaned. And so, like, Lazarus is unclean, and he's dead, and he's in a tomb. And what they would do is they would put the body in the tomb, and they'd throw a big rock in front of it, and, like, they would paint the whole thing white. That's when Jesus talks about whitewashed graves. It was painted white so you wouldn't wander into it and touch the dead body and be unclean. Got it? So, like, he is really dead. They have really buried him. They've already actually finished the first stage of mourning. You would spend the first three days crying, the the stage of weeping for Jewish people. They had really advanced customs for death. In fact, actually, poor or less popular families would hire people to mourn with them because the expectation was you had to have a crowd of people weeping with you. And if you did, you know, if nobody liked you, they would <laughs> you would hire somebody to mourn at your funeral. Um King Herod, who's in the story of the Christmas story, was such a big jerk that he ordered that people would be executed, like the popular people in the community, like, like popular leaders would be gathered up and executed publicly so that people would cry on the day he died because he knew no one would mourn at his funeral. And he wanted to make sure people cried. So he's like, well, just kill a bunch of people. Be sure that people weep when I die. Um, and it was a big deal. Jewish people wanted like this big show, and it was a huge show. Um, so the first three days they would weep, and after that it was four days of what's called lamentations, and that's when you would have a real crowd. And actually John tells us this. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mar- Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So they're about two miles away. It was considered a social obligation to show up to a funeral, right? 
like religious and social. Like if there was a funeral, you went, right? You didn't say, oh, I'm busy. Oh, this is going on. You went and you were there. And funerals sometimes lasted weeks. Sometimes they lasted months. I'm not making that up. <laughs> months that they would wear black and eat dirt and all kinds of other crazy stuff. Um, and so there's an enormous crowd there. Um, the other thing that this tells us is Mary and Martha were probably from a family that was very well-to-do and wealthy. How do we know that? Well, first off, he's got his own tomb. Tombs are expensive, right? Like graves are expensive now. Imagine if you had to hire a guy to go out there and chip a tomb out of a giant rock face, right? I mean, it, it, that's like months of work to, to create a tomb. And so the fact that Lazarus had his own tomb is an indication they were wealthy. Where their farm is located and the number of folks that showed up, this would have been a huge, huge crowd, right? I mean, thousands of people would have shown up for this funeral. Um, and so Jesus shows up. There's an enormous crowd there, enormous crowd of people who had been trying to kill Jesus just a few days beforehand, mind you. Um, and so we keep going in 20 or 22. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Now, we're going to pause there. We have a couple stories about Mary and Martha. One of them is the story about, like, where Jesus is teaching, and Mary sits at Jesus' feet and listens, and Martha makes dinner. And she comes in, and she's kind of ticked off, and she's like, hey, you didn't say anything to my sister. I'm doing all the work. <laughs> and, like, this is sort of the way Martha's character is, right? She is the, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to say what I think. And that's who I am. Um, some of y'all are married to people like that. Don't. Some of you are those people. Um, <laughs> I love you, honey. Um, <laughs> but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha had said to Jesus, so Martha shows up and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We're going to hit pause. Like they know Jesus was healing people. Right? He had a reputation for healing people. He did crazy stuff. He, like, guy with a withered hand, he says, reach your hand out to me. The guy reaches his hand out and it's whole. He's made lame people walk. He's made blind people see. Um, just a few chapters before, actually, there's this conversation where people are standing around and they're like, hey, Jesus, this blind guy right here, is he blind because he's evil or because his parents are evil? He's like, well, neither. And he, like, spits on the ground and makes some mud and shoves it in the guy's face and the guy can see all of a sudden. Like, um, Jesus had a reputation for healing, and Mary and Martha, knowing him, would have known this. So she comes out and she says, hey, we sent for you. What's the deal? If you had been here, he, would have, he wouldn't have died. Now, the way this is written in Greek, it sounds like she's accusing him, right? Um, it's not quite phrased that way in the Greek, and, and it's hard to understand, but I'm going to do my best here. Have any of y'all ever been around somebody who's had a family member pass away or like a huge personal tragedy and they're just like broken and just hurting and like half the things they say are angry and you're like, wow, you're angry. <laughs> like you're angry and I'm trying to be comforting, but you're angry, right? Like a lot of times anger is something that comes out of pain, right? Like you don't just feel angry. You like feel insulted and then you get angry or you hit your thumb with a hammer and you get angry or the kids won't stop screaming. You feel like you're going to pull your hair out and then anger shows up, right? Anger is always secondary. And so what we're getting here is, and it's important to understand this, Mary goes out to her close friend, right? Her close friend, and she says, you know what? If you had been here, 
Um, and I, I think it's easy to read this as an accusation, which a lot of people have. I've listened to a lot of sermons on this material preparing for it, and I think most of them miss it. Mary is deeply broken at this point, and she goes to her close friend and she says, you really probably could have done something about this. Um, and then she goes on and says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Um, she goes to him and she says, you have this close, intimate connection with God. I know you're close with him. Um, I know whatever you ask, he's going to give you. But if you had showed up, this wouldn't have happened. Um, she's lashing out in pain. She's lashing out in sorrow. Um, and I, I think it's important to really understand the state that she's in um, as we transition into what this conversation is, because we're going to really look at this conversation between Martha and Jesus. Um, it's sort of the bulk of what, what we're looking at today. Um, Martha is hurt. Um, one of the hardest things that I've ever been through, and I talk about it in front of the church sometimes, and I always feel bad for my wife when I do. Like years ago, before we had Abby, my wife and I got pregnant. We told everybody we knew we were pregnant, and then we lost the baby, right? And it wasn't just that we lost the baby, but like we were, we had like bought furniture, I think, had we? I know we bought baby clothes because I had bought, like, like we found out we were pregnant right after Halloween, and I went out and bought a bunch of, like, cool, like, funny baby costumes. And I, we had all these, you know, <laughs> I'm going to bring the baby to work dressed as this. And I've got great pictures of Abby dressed as a hot dog at Wrigley Field in Chicago. I, <laughs> I mean, we had, we had planned, and we were excited, and then all of a sudden it was, like, done. And it was done the day that we went for the, to listen to the heartbeat, Right? And my wife, like, they put the thing on, and they couldn't find the heartbeat. And then, like, they're like, oh, we're going to send you over here, and we're going to do it this way. And then we're going to send you for an ultrasound, and no one would answer our questions. And we're, like, by the end of the day, we're just, I, it's the worst day of my life. Jess, pretty much. I can't think of a worse time I've ever had. I was broken and hurting, and I, I, I know both of us, you know, like, talking. I know there were things that came out of our mouths that just would not have said otherwise, Right? I actually, her sister said something to, to us a few days after that, and I didn't talk to her for two years because it, it, we were just broken by it. And I, I'm offering that. Think about times you've been in this spot. This is where Mary is, right? She is in a place where everything is as wrong as it's going to get. Her brother has died. Things are busted. Um, and Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, um, in the Jewish religion at the time, there was this, this understanding that, like, we think of heaven, and it's easy to think of heaven like this place in the clouds where you'll have wings and a harp, right? Like, it's cartoons have taught us that. Um, that's actually not how the Bible depicts heaven at all. Um, it's not this otherworldly spiritual place. Heaven will be when the world we live in is fixed, Right? It'll be like when I, I went and visited a guy once. He had uh, Model Ts lined up in his garage. And he had one that was just rusted out, and it looked like it could have come out of a farmer's, you know, uh, junk collection. And he had one at the end that was pristine and beautiful. And he had ones along the way that were in various states of repair, right? If you think of the world we live in as broken, right? Because the world we live in is broken, right? People die. People aren't supposed to die. We're not made that way. We were designed to live forever and enjoy God. People hurt each other, 
right? People become depressed and hurt themselves. People live in places where they rebel against God openly and they don't want to. People, I mean, like the world we live in is broken. And the Jews believed, and the Bible teaches, that there is going to be a day where God is going to fix it and the world is going to work the way it's supposed to. It'll be like the brand new Model T, right? Um, Which isn't a dodge, so it fits the (laughs) explanation of something that works right. Um, (laughs) I say that for the few Dodge guys in the room, Um, (laughs) your brother will rise again. So like part of what they understood was that when the world is set right, people will come back to life. And the Pharisees taught this. Most of the Jews believed it. It was the common accepted belief. When we come across the Sadducees in the next chapter, the Sadducees didn't believe it because they were like kind of atheists who went to church. Um, and, and so, like Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And, and Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Right? So she stops and says, oh, well, I know that's what our religion teaches. Right? Um, after we lost our baby, I had a, a pastor who sat down with me, and we had a conversation, and, and he had lost his daughter in a car wreck. She was 16, and she was killed in a car crash. And we had this conversation a few weeks after, and I was just, I was at work. Do you ever do that where you go to work and you just wander through it? And you're like, I, I don't want to be even alive right now, but I'm here. And and he sat down with me at lunch. I'm sitting by myself, and he says, the, the day I lost my daughter was the day I needed the Bible to be true. It's like, I believed it before then, but this is the day I needed it to be true because I need for her to come back, right? And so when Jesus says, Hey, your brother will rise again. She responds, I know that's happening in the end. I know it's going to happen. I know he's coming back when God brings everyone back. When heaven happens, my brother will be there. Is that what Jesus is saying? Actually, no. Jesus is offering his hand here. He's like showing his cards because he's about an hour away from bringing Lazarus back to life. Like Jesus literally walks up to the tomb and says, come on out. And Lazarus gets up and walks out, right? But um, there's an important component here because Mary says, I know it's true because I know God's going to fix it. Um, I know in the last days he'll come back. Um, just like my friend Mike, Michael, or Mark, actually, Mark Michael. That's a hard name. Uh, it's like I, my friend Mark was right, you know. She needed it to be true, just like he needed it to be true, just like I needed it to be true. Um, because of the pain that we were feeling, need to believe that God is going to fix it. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus takes it from this sort of abstract idea, and it is really really easy to turn God into that, right? It is easy for God because, honestly, I don't see God all the time. He didn't show up when I'm, like, sinning and say, hey, hey, cut that out. (laughs) He doesn't, right? Um, He doesn't show up and say, hey, you know what? Eric, I know you're busy and you're late, but take a second and have a look at these mountains I, I covered with snow this week. Isn't that amazing? Take a second to look at that. He doesn't like show up and sit down with me when I'm playing with the kids and say, hey, remember, these children are your gift from me. You should be thankful you have them. I really wish he'd say that when they're screaming. And 
Can I get an amen to that? Come on. <laughs> God, it's easy to turn God into this abstract thing, right? And what happens here is Jesus says, hey, your brother will rise again. And she says, yeah, abstractly, I know he'll be in heaven. Don't worry, I get that, right? And Jesus turns around and says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, Gosh, the examples I have for this are not going to be ones that I, I, well, I'll say them anyway. I'm sorry in advance. Um, There's a a movie with uh, Sylvester Stallone where he, he's Judge Dredd. He's this, like, policeman who's also a judge, and he has a line. What's the line? I am the law, right? Because he's the guy who goes out and enforces the law and decides who's right and wrong and everything else, right? I am the source of the law. Like, I enforce and I make it happen. That's like what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, the resurrection you're talking about, I am the resurrection. It's coming from me. It's coming out of me. It will take place because I am here. And what I am doing now is going to make it real. Um, there, there are rivers all over Montana that originate somewhere, right? There are ground springs. Isn't that the shortest river in the world is in Great Falls? It comes out of a ground spring, doesn't it? And it feeds like 10 feet later into like a bigger river. But like there's a source for that. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, this end times, this heaven, this thing that you're looking forward to, it comes from me. I am the source of that resurrection. All right. Resurrection and the life. It's easy to like paint over that and go past it with, and miss what it's saying. Resurrection refers to coming back. Right, making something that is dead alive, but it's not resuscitation. Right, resurrection is bringing someone back to life in a way that like makes them perfect again. Right, um, resurrection is bringing someone back in a way that all of a sudden they are um, the way they were designed to be in the creation. Right, and when you read the stories about Jesus after the resurrection, there's some like. He didn't even like he, he looks different and he carries himself different. Um, there's things that are different about him because he's resurrected. He's come back in a perfect form that we'll all experience. Um, resurrection, as Jesus is talking about, is is you know recreation to what God intended us to be. Um, so he says, "I am the resurrection and the life." Life refers to not coming back, but to living the way that we're meant to live. Right. Um, I, I uh, talking to uh, uh, Rebecca and Daniel about their wedding day, right? I've been talking to them quite a bit, well, sometimes about it when they show up for counseling. Uh, <laughs> but but um, the wedding day happens, and then the, there's this, like, the wedding day's over, and then there's like 60 years that happen after that, right? The wedding day is like adult prom, and then like there's that life you live together, Right? So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, one complements the other. He's saying, listen, I'm where you come back to life, and I am the life that you live after that. Um, I'm the source of it all. Um, Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The way this is written in Greek is really difficult to read in English. What he's saying is, first off, he's talking about one person here, right? It's easy to read it, whoever believes in me, though he dies, and then whoever, like, like it's, oh, hey, anybody who falls in this group or this group, he's talking about one person. So he's saying, listen, 
whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Meaning, um, Lazarus believed in him. He is dead, right? But in the last days, Lazarus will be resurrected. Um, We all have loved ones who will die, right? The mortality rate is at a startling 100% right now. Everyone dies. Um, But those who believe in Jesus, those who have faith and trust in him, um, which is more than just saying a prayer, it's following him and living as like one of his followers, um, those people, even though they die, they'll live. Um, And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So even though there's a physical death that takes place, um, our eternal life begins the moment we come under his lordship, right? I am not... That's like saying, oh, well, when I go to heaven, I'll live forever, but I'm alive now, right? I am a follower of Jesus. I've been a follower of Jesus for 20-something years, right? Meaning that I have already experienced the first 20 years of my eternal life, right? I'm living it here and now, but there's a part of me that will never pass away. It will step from this part of eternal life into that part of eternal life. I'm already in relationship with Jesus. I'm already learning to put away my sin. And believe me, there's plenty of it. Like way too much of it. I'm learning to follow him and to be this different person. But I'm alive now, right? If I was not spiritually alive, I could not know Jesus. I could not have faith. I could not trust him. Uh, the moment we come to a place of belief, God recreates our hearts and our souls and we become alive in an eternal sense. And that's a sense that never ends. And so he's saying, listen, this guy who believes in me, we're going to do it backward this time, is alive spiritually. And they will never spiritually die. They will live forever. And even though they believe in me and they physically die, they continue to live. Eternal life begins with faith and it does not end. It, it, it's eternal. Um, and she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God who has come into the world. Um, the Jews at the time believed, like she says, the Christ, that's, uh, the Greek word for Messiah. It means anointed, which basically means to like dump oil on somebody's head. But in the Jewish culture, when you did that, it was a sign that you were super blessed by God and you were like the chosen one to do God's job, Right. So like David was the anointed of God, meaning he was the one that God picked out and gave a special job to be the leader of his people, right? For Jesus, she's saying, listen, you are the one that God has picked out, the son of God, which um, um, is a reference to a few things in Psalms, but we're we're not going to dig into that real deep, um, who has come into the world. Um, She backs up and she says, I believe this is true about you. So she begins with, I believe my brother will be in heaven one day. Yeah, sure. I'm sure there's a heaven and he'll be there, right? And Jesus says, no, I am the source of this. And she turns around and says, you know what? I believe that's true. So it went from this abstract, yes, I believe in God, to I believe you are God personally. Um, Why does that matter? Because it is super easy to think about God abstractly, isn't it? It's easy to slip into that place. But ultimately what Jesus is saying here is, Jesus is saying, I personally, I personally am the source of your life. And like, I personally am here for you. And like, what God intended, and if you read the whole story of the Bible, what you'll find is, like, 
God created man. God was close with man. They had this intimate relationship. Man rebels and runs away from God, and God spends the rest of the story saying, come on back to me. Stop being dumb. Come home. Stop rebelling. Come home. You know, I, I've given you all this stuff. Can't you folks just love me? And, and, you know, like God is angry at the same time over the offenses that we throw at him. And finally he says, well, look, if you can't come to me, I'll come to you. And he shows up as Jesus. And so, like, like deep down as we look at um, – we're going to kind of look at this in our application portion here um, – Well, I'm going to hit pause and come back to it. When we experience pain and when we experience struggle, the truth that God himself has given us a future for eternity, right? And then that future begins now. It's about as important as it's going to get. Does that make sense? For a drowning man, a life raft has is, is got to be the sweetest thing in the world, right? The Psalms, I think, I think it's a Psalms. Uh, Beautiful are the feet of the man who brings good news, Right? My feet ain't pretty, but if I wore sandals and walked around amongst, like, farm animals all day, they would be even less pretty, right? But fact of the matter is the man who walks in and gives you good news, it doesn't matter how nasty his feet are. It's nice to see him. Um, and the reality is when we're in hardship, when we're struggling, when we're hurting, is when this truth is more important than ever, um, We've got to choose to trust him as a part of this. Martha is put in a position where she has to say, I believe that you are the source of life, right? I believe that you're the source of resurrection. I believe that you are God's representative here, literally the son of God in this place. I believe that's true. That's a huge step away from something abstract. And there are a lot of people who chase after things that are other stuff. Um, There are a lot of people who like to keep God in the generic and say, well, I trust this generic God. Right? That's not what Jesus does here. Jesus puts it out there and says, look, this is me, and this is who I am, and this is what I am, and you need to believe it's true. Um, We watch the creation decay morally, physically. We watch people die. We watch people do wicked things. When we watch children hurt and suffer, we watch folks starve to death when it would be so easy just to feed them. When we watch people die of diseases that we could cure them of easily if we would just, like, figure out a way to, like, do it. Um, we're watching sin destroy the world. That's not a sign that God is failing, right? Because God's kingdom takes place everywhere we bring it. It takes place in our hearts as we're made new, and it takes place in the lives of those that we impact. I really appreciate the, as we watch the pregnancy crisis video thing today, one of the things it talks about is the one lady said, well, look, I saw my baby, right? And it made it completely different. Um, That's an extension of God's kingdom, where we look and we say, oh, my gosh, this child is precious in God's sight. Wow, this child isn't something abstract. This is a real person. Um, I had a pastor who I, I love dearly who went to Haiti and spent um, like a month in Haiti working. And he came back and he was completely different. He said, man, everything I thought was important in life is so much less important. Like there are people out there suffering that I have to help. That's God's kingdom expanding. Um, we're alive eternally now. We're not throwing this off till later. In this sense, we never die. And so when we see people pass and we see bad things happen, um, it's not the end. We don't mourn as people without hope. We mourn as people who recognize that God has fixed this world um, and is continuing to fix it and will ultimately fix it when he shows up again. Um, and when we face hardship in this life, we must trust in Jesus' power and authority 
um, or we choose to not, right? But if we choose to not, we're on our own. And that's where Mary was, or Martha was at this point. She's hurting, she's struggling, and she grabs the life vest, right? And often we, we're tossed a life vest and we have a choice. We can grab it and we can hold on. We can grab it and we can say, God, I know you can make this right. God, I know that you can fix this. Even though I'm not seeing it in this world, I know you can fix it. Or we can say, you know what, I think I can swim for it. It's a choice we make. Ultimately, when we struggle and we hurt, God takes it all on himself at the cross. Jesus makes it all right when he dies and is resurrected. And it's the sign of the first fruits of that. Um, we see a very beginning of it with Lazarus when Lazarus is brought back in the next half of this chapter, which we'll talk about next week. Um, but it, deep, deep down at the bottom layer of it, whenever we struggle, whenever we hurt, whenever we like look around and we think, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? Um, we have to back up and recognize that Jesus himself personally is there, even if we don't see it, even if it seems empty, even if it seems quiet, even if God doesn't fix it the way we want him to, God is there. Um, we're going to close in prayer. I don't think we have a last song, and I think we're way long today. We had a long prayer, and we started late. So um, let's pray, and, and um, we'll close. Heavenly Father, I pray that we, uh, you would be with us today, Lord. Um, as we struggle, as we hurt, as we um, watch this world around us, Lord, um, sometimes decay. And um, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to look to your Son as, as the source of resurrection and life, as the source of, of eternal life, as as our hope and in life and in death, Lord, I, I pray that you would just help us to keep our eyes affixed on him. Um, it's so easy to lose sight of that. It's so easy to think in the generic, to forget about you, Lord, but you personally came and saved us. You personally stepped into this world and rescued us, and we need only trust in that. We need only lean on you in those times. In Christ's name, amen. And I'll close with a blessing. If you all want to stand up, we'll do a blessing and As you go out of here, may the God who is the resurrection and the life, may that God, may the God who is the source of hope, may the God who is the source of, of peace, may the God who is the source of our future and our, our eternity, may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.